Yeah, it, it is crazy that I've known uh, Aaron and Holly since I was 14. Uh, that's over half my life ago, which is a long, a long time ago. And uh, gone through a lot of changes since then. Uh, puberty, finished, finished going through that, number one. Uh, probably the, the most recent change uh, in my life, which has been a pretty major one, uh, eight weeks ago, I became a dad, uh, which is awesome, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of there for my wife did all the work. Uh, but, uh, I mean, a lot of change. So I didn't really understand the phrase, like, oh, I could just, like, eat her up. Didn't get that. Totally get it now. Uh, I think in the past eight weeks, I've used the words uh, cute, precious, and adorable more than I have, like, my entire life before that. Because she is all three of those things, cute, adorable, and, and precious. Um, and there are, are a few things kind of going into fatherhood that I, 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 I knew to expect, like, I kind of knew to expect, but nothing can really prepare you for those things. And, and all of you who have been parents kind of know some of these things, but I'm fresh to this, so it's all new to me. Um, you know, I was told, like, you know, you got to be quick with the diaper change. Uh, nothing can really prepare you, though, for the first time she makes a mess all over you. Like, you can't, you can't be prepared for that. Um, you know that, like, I knew I was going to be tired, uh, but you've, at that point, I've never really experienced sleeping for more than just, like, three or four hours at a time. Like, you don't know, you don't know what that's like until you experience that. And um, no one can quite explain uh, to you that um, those, those long days and those rough nights are going to build, and they're going to build, and they're going to build. And you might have a time when your daughter's just been crying on and off for who knows how long, and now your wife's crying, and now you're crying. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you feel pretty hopeless, except, especially when you're like the dad in that scenario, because you're kind of useless as well. You can't really provide uh, what, what your daughter needs. Um, so, you know, I, I, I entered into being a parent thinking like, uh, yeah, okay, I know it's going to be hard, but I think I, I, think I, I, think I got this. Uh, and then reality just smacked me upside the face and said, buckle up. Um, and, and I went from thinking like, okay, I think I, I, think I can manage this to, I have, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I, I, I can't do this. this I, I, didn't, I didn't know exactly what I was signing up for. And, and I mean, even in just those eight weeks, there were some times where it, it felt like, like it was just uh, hopeless. It felt hopeless. It felt like I was in despair because I didn't think that I, I could do this. And... Um, I imagine uh, many of us have had experiences like that, but probably even even deeper and, and, and experiences that have lasted longer than, than my most recent experiences because at the end of the day, I have a beautiful daughter and it's great. But w- we have, have times where we start to lose heart, where we feel fractured or, or lonely or, or anxious, like darkness is slowly consuming you. Right, Holly was just talking about this, and Kyle talked about it a little last week. Especially this time of, of the year, um, some of these feelings can kind of can kind of grow a little bit extra. Um, maybe you're feeling a, a, an extra financial burden right now, uh, post Christmas. Um, family tensions sometimes are, are stretched even tighter during this time, and and like Holly was saying, sometimes the the, the hardships that you've had in the entire year seem to just converge right at this moment as we're reflecting on the year before us. Circumstances maybe have disheartened you. But this kind of weariness of the soul is not always brought about by specific circumstances. Um, Our culture 
actually breeds brokenness in at least two ways. One, our, our culture emphasizes the individual. Everything is about just you. Um, uh, so, so much so that it, it, the culture is all about seeking your own pleasure, your own wealth, your own status, about expressing yourself however you want to. And in doing that, what we've actually done is thinned out the connections that we have to others. Rather than see ourselves as bound to others, we are cut free. At least that's how we like to frame it in terms of freedom. In reality, we're cut off, we're disconnected, and, and we're fractured. Our culture also breeds brokenness in the amount of options it gives us. I don't know if you've ever kind of thought about it this way, but you know, if, you, if you're not sure what, to, what, you, what, what you should believe, there are a thousand worldviews ready to give you an answer. If you don't know what you should desire or whom you should desire, a million products and a billion images are competing for your affections. And, and this is in a very real sense of kind of pulling you this way and that way. It, it fragments us. It leaves us feeling fatigued, confused, and, and maybe even hopeless. Didn't realize I was going to be so chipper this morning, right? No one ever has, have, has ever uh, said I've been too chipper, I don't think. Um, in the midst of this hopelessness sometimes, our, our culture will try to offer solutions, but they're all going to fall short because we have broken people and a broken culture trying to offer solutions. Like, brokenness is just going to breed more brokenness. So fortunately, uh, in the midst of that hopelessness, God speaks. He, he actually speaks all throughout Scripture. Um, and in particular, we're going to look today at Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn there with me um, in Ephesians 3. <clears throat> um, Paul's writing here to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus actually is not too dissimilar from uh, our own culture in, in, a, in, a, in a number of ways. Uh, one, as a successful port city, wealth abounded. Lots of trade, lots of stuff. Um, and this is an extremely idolatrous city. There are temples all over the city. In fact, um, the temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus. So false goods and false gods competed for their affections every day, pulling them this way and that way. And even more, uh, Paul, actually, the one who has walked alongside them, who has pastored them for, for several years, he's now in prison. And, and Paul recognizes that because of this, they might lose heart. And so he, 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 he prays this prayer um, for them, and, and I think also for us, offering us spiritual strength for a hopeless soul. So let's look at Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. Uh, the words will also be on the screen behind me. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Um, 
Paul does not begin here jumping into demands. Uh, he doesn't immediately start making requests of God. First of all, no one likes that when the first thing that you say to them is just, hey, can you, like, can you do something for me? Right? Like, I knew uh, when I was a kid, I hated when, like, the first thing my mom would say to me is, like, hey, I need you to take out the trash, do this. Can you go there? Can you pick up this? I'm like, whoa, hold on just a second. I, I, like, can I at least wake up for, for a second here? Um, I'm not saying God is like that. But it is important to recognize who you're talking to. And so uh, Paul recognizes the need to posture himself humbly in prayer before God. And he, 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 does, he, he, he postures himself actually physically. He bows his knees. Common Jewish custom at this time was actually to stand while praying. Um, that, that, was, that was more common. And so Paul here wants to emphasize first the, the earnestness of this prayer, the, the, uh, the, how strongly he feels it. And he wants to demonstrate that he's surrendered to God, that he's ready to receive from him. When hope is failing us, uh, if we don't just give in entirely, we often want to act. We want to do something. We want to take matters into our own hands. Um, we're, we're, we take this like ready to act stance. It's not unlike Kyle when he preaches, just like, Ready to go, ready to do, do something. But Paul tells us something differently in his physical posture. He says, no, pause a moment, because there's one who has the authority, the power, and the will to act. So just submit to him. We are both physical and spiritual beings. The, the two are, are interconnected, actually. So the physical act can actually help to train our spiritual response. Uh, literally kneeling, bowing to pray, which I'd encourage you to do. It trains your heart. Um, you're, not, you're not taking matters into your own hand in that ready-to-act stance. You're saying, no, I, 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 I give up to God. It trains us to recognize what we really are and also what God really is. Um, in, in that bowing our knees, um, we're... We don't have to cover up the fact that we've lost heart, right? A lot of us, we, 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 we want to make sure that everything looks okay. But Jesus says, no, actually, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Why are the poor in spirit blessed? Why is theirs the kingdom of heaven? Because they recognize that they are nothing. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you should care for him, the psalmist says? You're admitting you have nothing, and in doing that, you're recognizing that he is everything. In particular, in, in Paul's address here, he's recognizing that God is Father. Now, this can refer to God's uh, fatherly provision and his care for us, but Paul here is drawing out another aspect of God's fatherhood. He has naming rights. In the Old Testament, to name something... Uh, was to exercise dominion over that thing, or it was to kind of speak a particular life into that thing. And God, Paul tells us here, is the namer of all things in heaven and on earth. Nothing is outside of his sovereign rule. Nothing is outside of his reach. So posturing ourselves before the Lord with this recognition already steers our hearts towards hope. You're essentially saying, I have a father in heaven, he's the king, he's in charge, and I don't have to be. I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to bear that weight on my shoulders because 
He does. That acknowledgement should already start to, 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 to stir something in you. So with that acknowledgement, with that posture, um, Paul makes three requests before God. Uh, the first is in verse 16. Uh, he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So on, on what basis does, does Paul have the right to make this kind of appeal to God? I mean, he's asking God for power. How, how, on what basis can he ask that question? It can't be on anything that he has or that he's done. Um, it, it could even it could sound like you're asking God to like go above and beyond like just for you, but that's not what Paul is doing. He makes his appeal on the basis of God's nature, right? According to the riches of His glory. In other words, Paul recognizes uh, what what. Uh, Moses already said in Exodus 34, 6. I have this um, back up here. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That refrain comes again and again all throughout Scripture. So many prayers are predicated upon that understanding. People throughout the Bible are basically asking God just to be true to who he is. That's who he is. Uh, God is so rich in power and grace and glory and so giving and merciful and gracious in nature that we don't have to beg of him. We don't have to convince him to act in a way that he doesn't normally act. We can pray, Father, you are powerful and gracious by nature, so let your character shine forth in your pouring out upon us the abundance of your glory. So really we're continuing to posture ourselves humbly before God, even in our asking something of Him, or recognizing that, hey, it's just in His nature to be an, an abundantly giving God. That, that's hopeful. So what is His power for? This is an important question, because we're talking about, Paul prays for, for power here, but it's power for a particular purpose. He's actually not asking for the power uh, to, to remove their feeling of despair. Uh, he's, he's actually not even asking for himself to be taken out of, out of prison. He's not asking for the power to slay uh, their own giants. Aren't those typically the things that we pray for, though? Um, don't we just want those burdens and those anxieties, those feelings of personal and social fracturing just to disappear? You could put it this way. Uh, we pray for the power to subtract, and Paul prays for the power to add, to receive Christ. That's the, that's, that's the kind of power we need, the power to receive Christ. Paul is, is praying for spiritual power to receive Christ. Um, Jesus tells actually a really interesting story that I think kind of deals with this in Matthew uh, 12, uh, 43 through 45. I want to look at it real quick. Um, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. So you have a person, uh, there's, there's a, an unclean spirit, a, a demon that's been messing with him, and now it's leaving, it's been cast out. Then it, the unclean spirit, says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse 
than the first. The house has just been made a little cozier and a little roomier. When you subtracted the unclean spirit, that's all that happened. what's, What's missing here? You're missing fortification. You're missing power. You're missing a, a power that, to repel the forces of darkness. That's why Paul is, is, is praying specifically to receive Christ in our hearts. And when, when we um, speak about Christ coming in, into our hearts, um, well, Paul means something, I think, a little deeper than we tend to mean. I think we tend to mean something like uh, we're welcoming Jesus in to be the conductor on the Heaven Express. Right? He's just there and just so we can have our pass to heaven. But what he's praying here is for the power of the Spirit to make you a permanent resident for the continuing presence of Christ in your life. So, so why is this a better hope than, than merely subtracting our burdens and fears and doubts? Because of who Jesus is. Paul actually has spent the whole like first half of Ephesians um, gushing forth about how Jesus purchased our redemption by his blood. How Jesus forgives every wrongdoing because he bore our punishment himself. How Jesus reconciles us to God when we were his enemies. How Jesus broke down the barriers of hostility between people groups. How Jesus conquered death and breathed out life. How Jesus sits on the throne above all powers where, where he will reign for all eternity. And that same Jesus says, I'm going to dwell in your heart. I want that power. I don't want just the power to to remove those burdens. I want the power for that person to dwell with me. And and, and I think it's essential also to look at where this power is taking place. In our hearts, in our inner being, the very core of who we are. Um, too often, I think, we want to wear God like an accessory. Uh, we keep our lives dressed up in the values of our culture and just throw God on like a, like a scarf. Or we treat him like he's a roommate. You know, we're with him some of the times, but if we're a little tired of him, we have some other friends that we can go hang out with. We want to go to class and still be seen as cool or smart or funny. We want to go to work and still be viewed as driven and successful. But at the heart, in our inner being, we still pursue exactly what led us to the brink of despair in the first place. We're still following our broken culture. It is, it's, it's really madness to think that we can live according to the values of a fragmented, broken culture and find wholeness for our weary, despairing souls. It's madness, really. Paul understands this, so he prays nothing short than that the Savior of the world, the defeater of sin and death, would transform our hearts, the very core of who we are. Now, how is this inner self being renewed? And and why do I need power to receive Jesus? I mean, don't I just, like, believe, confess, say a prayer, and, like, that's it? Well, the Bible's clear that because of our sin, we're actually incapable of accepting Christ on our own strength. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 that the things about are actually folly. It's foolishness to the natural person. And earlier in Ephesians uh, 2, uh, verse 1, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and your sins. You're dead. The last time I checked, dead people 
can't do a whole lot except be dead. Right? Right? So if we are spiritually dead, then we're not going to make a whole lot of spiritual headway because we're, we're dead. That's why Paul prays as he does. He prays that the Spirit would apply within the believer what Jesus achieved for them. Otherwise, Christ's work of redemption is just kind of out there, and, and we, we need it in here. It takes the Spirit's power to do that. Paul emphasizes in, uh, also in Ephesians 2 that we are actually separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Unless you have Christ. So if you want hope, you need Jesus. And if you want Jesus, you need the Spirit to perform a miracle in your inner being and in your heart. And that's what God loves to do. That's hopeful. That's Paul's first request. Uh, his second request, he picks up in uh, the end of chapter 17. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses, sur- sur- surpasses knowledge. So if Christ dwells in you, you are planted in fertile soil. You're, you're built on a firm foundation. Because Jesus, in his self-sacrifice for us, is the epitome of God's love. That unbreakable, unconquerable, divine love permeates your entire being. Just as a, as a plant doesn't stop with the roots or, or a building with its foundation, there's growth that needs to happen. And Paul explains a little bit more why in, in Ephesians 4. Um, in, actually, in verse 13, he says that uh, you, know, you need to mature uh, in your fullness of Christ. And then in 14, he says, "...so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine." by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. So, so look at uh, the image here. You're, you're being rocked back and forth by the waves. <clears throat> and Christ, uh, if we don't have him, we're, we're just going to be really manhandled by deceitfulness, by the lies, by what our culture says is true. And so Paul prays for spiritual strength, not just to receive Christ, but to grow in Christ. To grow, actually, in our, our understanding and our knowledge of him. I think this is a really interesting way that, that um, Paul phrased this. He says, you need strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Um, strength to comprehend. Like, don't I just need to pray to, to be like, less dumb or just sm- smarter so I can understand this? Like, why, why, why do I need strength uh, to, to understand something? I think it's because there are some things that are too wonderful to be believed at first. There are, are some things that are just so beyond our understanding that we just can't even grasp it. Um, historically, you just think about when um, Galileo started telling everybody that the sun or that the earth actually revolves around the sun. People were like, what, 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 I, I can see the sun rise in the east and set in the west. Uh, I, I think, Gallo, you're, you're a little confused here. Um, you know, it was just so beyond their understanding because, because they didn't feel like they were flying through outer space. 
um, that they couldn't just wrap, even wrap their minds around the fact that, no, the earth actually revolves around the sun. The love of Christ is one of those things that surpasses our initial comprehension, but it's even greater than Galileo's claim. It's too broad, too wide, too high, and too deep. I mean, I've already kind of said this, but let's just think again about what the Bible says we are and, and, and the cross, what Jesus did for a second. The Bible literally says we're enemies of God. We are hostile to his ways. Uh, we are dead in our sins. It even calls us spiritual adulterers. Um, we are the kind of people who will exchange the glory of the creator for stuff, status, uh, our, ourselves. And for a people like that, the king of kings would be beaten and mocked as a wannabe king. The all-powerful creator would be powerlessly nailed to a cross. The savior of the universe would seem unable to save himself. The supposed hope of the world would himself cry out in despair. That doesn't make any sense. And yet the, the extent of Christ's love is that, yeah, he would undergo all of those humiliations on your behalf so that you might be raised to new life with him and exalted with him to inherit the riches of God. What? That doesn't make any sense. I think that's why Paul, um, in Romans 11, he's kind of talking about similar things. And he just kind of ends by saying, by saying this. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Psalm 139.6 puts it a little more simply. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Simple but accurate. We need strength to comprehend the riches of God's glory and love. We need that spiritual empowerment to wrap our finite minds around the wonder of God's love, if you're rooted and grounded in that love, and if your mind has begun to, to comprehend the vastness of his wisdom and his grace, you just might have a fail-safe should your circumstances alter your feelings towards God. In other words, should you, should you feel like you're losing heart, like you're hopeless, like you're in despair, you can still hold on, you can still know the truth that God has reconciled you to himself in Christ. And that can be an anchor for your soul in those raging waters. <clears throat> One last point that I think that, that, that's interesting about this, uh, this request. Um, it's unfortunately true that when you are feeling in despair, when you're depressed, um, oftentimes you try to isolate yourself. I've, I've actually done this myself. You, you just want to get away from everything. Um, and, and Paul recognizes here that in our receiving Christ and, and growing in him, we need to be together. right? He says I, that, that, he, that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. That's, that's us here. Um, at the end of, of chapter 2 in Ephesians, Paul doesn't just say, that you individually are a temple for the presence of God. He actually says we corporately are the temple of God. 
And each of us, like a stone, is, is bound together, holding each other up with, with Scripture as our foundation and Jesus as the cornerstone. In the face of despair, of hopelessness, the saints are given the opportunity to rely on others and be relied upon. You might not feel hopeless. Someone around you probably does. And you have the opportunity to encourage them. Not with those like cheap words of encouragement like, oh, I'm going to pray for you, bless your heart. Uh, you know, it's, it's all uphill from there. Like, we, like when you receive those words and you're feeling just darkness, like that's, that means nothing. But we have the opportunity for real encouragement. We can encourage one another to position ourselves before the majesty in heaven and wait for his abundant grace and presence. To pray as Paul prayed that God himself would strengthen us with spiritual power and draw us into the depths of Christ's love. What if that was, that was our church culture? Uh, what if at the parks we felt uh, first free enough to admit, you know what, my life isn't great. I might do a really good job of, of, of making everyone think it's great, but inside it's dry and, and dark and despairing? What if we were free enough first to admit that, and then others wouldn't judge that person as spiritually inferior or weak, but as someone who, like ourselves, just needs prayer, who needs to be strengthened with the power of the Spirit to receive Christ so that Jesus could come in and root them in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. We need people who who will not put themselves first, but who will actually act like they are bound together with those losing heart, that, that, that will actually bear one another's burdens, as, as Paul reminds us to do in Galatians. A church family that took this prayer of Paul's to heart would be a stronghold in the, in, in the, in the, the stormy waves of our culture and a beacon in a dark, fragmented world. I pray that that would be this church. So Paul prays for spiritual power to receive Christ, spiritual power to grow in Christ, and then he ends his, his, his third request uh, at the end of verse 19, very simply, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's last request there is really drawing all the threads of the prayer together so far. To receive Christ and to grow in your apprehension of his love is, is, is nothing less than to be filled with the fullness of God. Because Jesus is the fullness of God. That's actually the whole goal of the Christian life. The full extent of our hope is to be united with the fullness of God. Uh, one uh, commentator, Francis Folks, says, says this about this third uh, request. He says, Paul prays ultimately that they may receive not any attribute of God or any gifts of his, not love, not knowledge, not strength alone or in combination, but no less than the very highest he can pray for, the full indwelling of God. If you are to receive the fullness of the one who can set the stars in their place, who can make the waters rage and calm them in, this, in, in, in one breath, who can enter into our humanity, die for our sins, and rise from the dead, you're going to need strength for that. 
you, 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 don't, you don't want just to subtract that, that feeling that you have. You want the fullness of God. I, I don't know what causes you to lose heart. It's different for, for everybody. Um, I don't know what discourages you. I don't know what drives you to anxiety or despair. I don't know what circumstances have obliterated your hope and filled you with sorrow. I don't know what idols are, are fracturing your soul. But maybe that's where you find yourself, just feeling like you're in a pit. Here's what I do know. We serve a God who is able who has the power to do far, far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. Right? So Paul, Paul, how he ends his prayer. Able to do far more than we can even imagine because each of us is in a different circumstance. So if, if God could only do what we could imagine, eventually you're going to step in a situation that you did not prepare for. And if you have limited God to this understanding of this is what he can do, you're lost, but he can do so much more than you can even imagine. We worship a God who is abounding in grace, who lavishly pours out his love, who actually strengthens us to receive himself. And here's the part that I, I think we can't miss at the end of Paul's prayer. He's already at work, right? He says, according to the power at work within you. He's not just praying for a, a future power to come. He's saying this is already at work. He's already working in you, drawing you closer to himself, filling you with his presence. We bow before a father who sits enthroned above the heavens with all power. His son identifies with us, walks among us, and achieves our redemption. And his spirit makes a home in our heart for that new life to flourish. Paul's prayer demonstrates what uh, we sometimes sing. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. I don't know if, if the writers of that song actually even fully got how much we are surrounded by the presence of God above us, beside us, within us, Father, Son, Spirit, guarding us, cleansing us, giving us new life, comforting us, all by his powerful, glorious presence. If you do feel secure in God right now, not feeling hopeless or in despair, remember that there are people who covet your prayers. You know people, even if they haven't let you in, that need brothers and sisters who will walk alongside them, who will humble themselves before God in prayer because they need the spiritual strength to receive the Spirit of Christ, to grow in an understanding of the expanse of His love and to be filled with God's fullness. Um, life right now for my little girl is pretty good, right? She eats, sleeps, poops on repeat. But there is going to come a time when she finds herself in darkness, where the, the, the floor has just fallen out from under her. And in that moment, she's not going to need this father. She's going to need to know the truth of this prayer. She's going to need to know that there is a father 
above us, uh, the, the Son who has achieved our redemption and who pours out His love and Spirit who is in the very deepest recesses of her soul. Um, actually, in, in light of, of this prayer, like I, I wrote this little poem that I sing over her sometimes. Um, the Father of mercy sits up, sits up above, willing and working His plan. He sent His Son to walk among us, to suffer and die for our sins. The Spirit was poured out to dwell in our hearts, drawing us closer to Him, from Him and through Him and to Him, all things, forever and ever. Amen. That's what we need, church. Nothing less than the spiritual strength to be filled with God. To have our entire being wrapped in His love. And even in the deepest pit of despair, God's presence, His love and peace can find you and fill you and through you and through us as the church radiate His glory in a dark, fragmented, hopeless world. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We recognize that we have nothing. We are nothing. We are lost and broken. But you are a father. The the father who sits above all things who holds all things together by the word of your power. And God, we ask that you would speak that word of power to our hearts. We pray that you would strengthen us first to receive Christ. If we are far from you, would you soften our hearts, our cold, dead hearts, draw us into you so that we would know the depths and the the heights and, and the width of your love, God. Strengthen us in our understanding of you. We don't want, we don't want a shallow Christianity. We want depth. We want to know the riches of your glory. So bind this church together in the pursuit of you. Draw us to one another as we come after you, Father. God, and just fill us with your fullness. We, we, we turn to so many other things to try to find hope and, and, and peace, but you're it. Remove those distractions, but, but do more than that. Give us yourself. Father, I, I pray if, if there are those here who, who feel lost and broken and despairing, that they would know you, that they would be drawn to you. God, Expand, expand our imagination for what you can do. Because you can do so much more than we can even imagine. God, we thank you that you are a God abounding in grace and mercy and faithfulness and love. You are not limited by our circumstances or any shortcoming we have. And we thank you. We thank you that at every moment you are above all things, that you can sympathize with our weaknesses, and that you can touch our hearts. Because that's what we need. 
and we just appeal to who you are to, to work in us and to work in our church because that's the only thing we can appeal to. And we know and we hold fast to the fact that you are faithful. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.